Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast, where we chat about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is Paul Reed. Paul hails from Ireland. Paul, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your story, your journey, and where you're from, and we'll go from there. Brilliant stuff, Daniel. First of all, I just want to say a huge thank you for this opportunity to come on and share my story. Uh, my name is Paul Reed. I'm 37 years of age, from originally from Dublin, Ireland, but now settled in County Kildare. Um, my story kind of goes back to just around two years ago, a little more than two years ago. Um, myself and my wife, we've been married now 11 years in August. And we kind of went through a journey of getting married, enjoying that time of marriage, getting to know one another. Because myself and my wife, you know, we're Christians, so we kind of believe in saving ourselves for marriage. So as you can imagine, moving in together after getting married, you know, you're, you're learning all that side of things. So we really kind of took years to kind of work on our marriage and that side of things, enjoying life, traveling, doing things we wanted to do. And then we bought our house and that was our next big thing. It's a big financial burden. Um, and then once we'd kind of paid off some personal loans and that, we were like, right, we really want to start a family. And this all really kind of kicked off in january 2020 and we basically said we're going to try for a year and if if we don't get pregnant then we'll start looking elsewhere and like that you know we spent the whole year trying and i have to say like you know the lockdown covid kind of came at a i suppose an opportunistic time for us where it gave us more time we were both at home you know trying to conceive but unfortunately it didn't it never worked um and and that kind of led us then to in early 2021 kind of looking at our options you know i never thought that infertility would be an issue on my side um i come my mother comes from a family of 13 kids and each one of her siblings have have at least six eight kids each so i used to always say to my wife don't worry rachel having kids isn't going to be an issue when, when I've got the O'Brien gene going through me we used to laugh about that but you know little did I know that you know a year later of trying that we we still couldn't conceive and that kind of led us then to looking at down the roots of IVF. Wow so what was that IVF for free. I mean, obviously you tried to conceive for a year and I'm sure growing up and having 13 siblings, did that put any pressure on you? Like, do you, do you want to have a large family? What was the journey like, you know, now that you're starting the IVF process and having so many siblings, what effect did that have on you? Well, it, it, when I say many siblings, I mean, my mother comes from a family. She had 13 siblings. Um, so I always thought like I had low, I have about 90 odd cousins on my mother's side. So I always thought, look, shouldn't be an issue. It's a joke. But in reality, um, it kind of hit hard because 
you know, my wife, she's really healthy and she had her AMH levels checked about five years ago and they were they were high. Um, so for us, it was basically me checking into an IVF clinic um, to do a theme analysis, uh, which I have to say, like, it's probably one of the most uncomfortable things um, I've had to do. Like, um, and then a couple of days later, um, we got the results back and basically I was diagnosed with severe oats. So not only was my numbers terrible, I think there was like a million. Um, I had zero motility, zero morphology. Um, and it just, it was such a kick because you're thinking, basically what it spelled out for us was that we're never going to be able to conceive naturally. Um, and that there's going to be a very large financial burden, you know, put on our doorstep that we're going to have to deal with that may or may not give us a child at the end of it. Um, so from there, then I, like I went to the facility, uh, infertility, or sorry, the fertility consultant, and he basically gave me a list of things I need to do, like taking loads of vitamins, um, cut out on lots of stuff that I was eating and drinking, and exercising a lot more. And in the space of three months, um, I got my numbers from like one million up to nine and a half million. And I got my motility up a slight bit. Um, but the fertility specialist was like, it's still not going to be possible to conceive uh, naturally. And um, so we were kind of left with the option of we have to go down the IVF ICSI routes. Um, so that kind of, we, we came to that conclusion. We realized, look, we're going to have to spend this money. We both more than anything want to be parents. You know, you know, it, it, it's always really hard for me when I go visit my nieces and nephews who I absolutely adore um, and I absolutely love spending time with them. But you get that real sense of I want this connection um, with my own sibling. And, and there was many a times where I, you know, I spoke to my wife and I was trying to convince her to go down the, the sperm donor route because I just didn't have any faith in me being able to even with IVF being able to uh, have a child and, and that was a real real struggle to be honest sorry i lost the connection for a second that that sounds like a, a real struggle what was it like as far as giving that and you know that semen analysis how how did you meant did you mentally prepare for that and then when you got the results were you just in in shock trying to see how do i how do i deal with this i mean i know the doctor said oh exercise diet changed some of your lifestyle but what was that process like yeah like like you said it's a really roller coaster because you know, there was a part of me that never kind of conceived the idea, perceived the idea, sorry, of me being an issue. And I just never actually allowed myself to kind of get there. 
And so to when we got the results the first time, um, I, I, I just went absolutely numb, to be honest. Um, I went completely inwards. I have to say, like my wife, Rachel, was absolutely incredible because she kept the kind of positive mindset that, look, Paul, you know, you know, it's not a case that there's nothing there. You know, um, if that was the case, then, you know, it'd be a, a much bigger concern. You know, we can improve this. And that really helped. And like, she was so instrumental in kind of get me the vitamins, you know, going on a new eating plan, cutting out coffee and those things. Um, to then getting to three months later when I did another semen analysis. And then I remember the email came in. I remember exactly where I was sitting. And and I remember just being like, oh, I don't really want to open this up because I'm I'm terrified of the reality of what's gonna what I'm gonna view. Like, um, however, when I opened it up and I saw that you know my numbers had gone from one million to nine and a half million, and that they they did an additional test where they can find basically which which sperm is actually alive, and so then the reality of actually you know what we've got a couple of hundred thousand to kind of work with you know where they can then try and select the ones that have the best uh, morphology and um, that kind of gave me real hope you know because i think at that stage i had just completely you know the idea of conceiving naturally was gone it was never happening Um, no matter how much you know, I could probably go back and get more tests done on myself to see if there's any obstructions there. That's all going to cost time and money uh, that, quite frankly, we just didn't have. Um, so then to, be, to get those results and then to meet with the fertility consultant and him basically being very optimistic that, you know, if we go down the route of IVF ICSI, there's a very good chance that we'll have um, some embryos to work with. Um, and, and I think it, at that moment, we were just, we didn't hesitate. We were like, right, we're going to do this. We, you know, we had, at that stage, we'd been saving for a number of months just in preparation for the reality that uh, IVF was going to have to be the option. Um, and we literally said, right, we're going to go, we're going to do this. Uh, and I think that was, that was a huge relief. Uh, relief also because it just meant that you know we're going to go for this if it doesn't work then we can look at other options such as you know sperm donor and that because like i said both of us just wanted to be parents more than anything and that's a feeling that a lot of guys have you know we just want to be parents and it's a journey it's very tough what what does it cost where you are to do an IVF treatment? So in Ireland, um, we don't have any um, state-funded um, fertility, you know, so it's not part of our the health services, whereas in the UK, um, you can qualify for a, a round of IVF on the NHS, whereas in Ireland, there's none of that. It's, it's in discussions now where they're talking about bringing it in in the next year to two, but like with the Irish government, the way they are, stuff like this gets promised and 10 years later, it's still not uh, put in place. So with ourselves, the, the package we paid for, it cost eight and a half thousand 
but when you factored in all the, the different consultancy appointments, consultancy appointments and semen analysis, it brought it up to around ten thousand. Um, however, with our within Ireland, we have a drug payment scheme, which basically means that if you have to get drugs, uh, and the drugs could cost eight hundred, but you'll only pay a maximum of one hundred and forty euros per month regardless of how many drugs you need. So like all the shots and everything only costed us around 280 euros in total, which to be honest with you, I've heard stories in America and even in Europe where those injections, they cost like five, 10,000 euros or dollars. And they're very, very expensive. So that that was a real, um, gave us a real peace of mind that look, we've got 10,000 there to really, to put into this, but at least the, the actual drugs and the injections and all that isn't going to cost us an arm and a leg. That must have been a sigh of relief after paying, you know, upwards of thousands of, I guess it's euros where you are, right? Euros, pounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands of euros. Look, I, look, I see so many stories, especially in the States, and I just, you know, when I, on the male infertility group, like when I read the stories about unsuccessful um, IVF treatments, and you actually get the reality of what they're spending in the states, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's upwards of twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a pop in the US. It's pretty crazy. something that may or may not work, and you're left with this debt. You know, that's that's something that I find very, very hard when I read someone's story. Whereas in reality, you know, had it not been successful for us. Could we have spent another six to eight months saving another 10,000 to go again? Probably. Would we want to do that? Probably not um, in reality. I want to go back for a second. You, I, When you got the results, when you said, oh, it was really hard to look at because you were, you know, you kind of sound like you were a little bit afraid to look at it, but then you saw the results that your motility went up, you had better results. What was what was your reaction? I mean, you must have been ecstatic. Yeah, the first thing I did was um, because I was working at home at that stage. I remember I literally I was upstairs in the office and I saw the email come in. I went down into the sitting room and sat down on the sofa and I was just like, I was literally shaking. And when I saw the numbers, I actually had to double check them because I was like, is this right? Am I looking at this? You, if you've ever looked at a scene analysis report, you'd want to be a, like a mathematics tactician to actually understand it um, because it can be very confusing. So I literally double-checked this, uh, rang, rang my wife, even though she was in work, and I was just like, I can't believe this. The numbers have gone up. And she was like, what is it? And I was like, oh, they went, the numbers went from 1 million to 9.5 million. And uh, the motility improved. And she was literally, she was screaming down the phone because... You know, like I do think, like it says, taking the supplements, which I'd never taken before in my life, you know, cutting out stuff. And like in fairness, in that time, I lost, I lost around 23 pounds. So I was making kind of drastic changes to improve us. And I know they kind of say that your, your sperm recycles every like 90, 100 days. So this was us kind of really feeling like, right, look, we understand that conceiving naturally is probably not going to happen, but at least going in to do IVF 
when I give my semen analysis on the day that they're going to have something better to work with, which is going to give us a better chance um, to get to be getting pregnant. And as we see, technology is getting better and better. Where oh, where incredible. are you now in your journey? Like how far along? You know, you had the positive semen analysis. Did you do another round of IVF? Did you do trans? Where are you holding in your journey? So um, we're currently eight months pregnant with twins. That's incredible. That must also be really exciting. Yeah, no, it's like, to be honest with you, it is exciting, Daniel. But when I think about the journey from, for example, I have a complete phobia of needles. And in reality, I was never going to allow my wife to do the injections. So, you know, I did the injections for every day um twice a day and you know we have some funny stories with that where when the first day of doing injections the the pen jammed and it didn't administer the full amount so then i i took the needle out jabbed her again trying to get the rest of it out it wouldn't get out i then we were then freaking out went straight to the pharmacy saying what's wrong with the pen he goes oh the pen's not working says tomorrow when you're doing this uh, just do an extra amount, an extra dosage um, to, to when we were doing our trigger shot, which is such a crucial shot. And I opened up the box and there was no needle in it. So I, I then went, that's crazy. I, I then went running around the town into pharmacies trying to find which needle do I need to screw on to the, to the cap. And literally, this I'm not going to lie to you, this was a half five in the afternoon and all chemists in Ireland generally close about half five six o'clock and we had to do our trigger shots and one pharmacy was able to give us one and I was like you're an absolute lifesaver um, wow. so so we did that and um, my wife we went in for the retrieval they got 24 eggs which was incredible my wife's 35 you know and I was just blown away and um, by the amount of eggs and she was an unbelievable trooper in the whole process um to then obviously you know a day later then getting the phone call to be told that 16 fertilized and I, at that stage i just broke down in tears like i think the whole process just came in on me in that moment to realize that my sperm wasn't completely useless um and then, and then obviously, as the days went on, you know, obviously numbers do generally drop. But on day five, we were left with nine embryos. And four of them were, were graded AA. And I just think, like, like, I'm a man of faith. And I just know that there were so many people, uh, church members, family, who were just praying hard for our whole situation because... You know, when, when I got that, when we got that first call and she said 16 fertilized, I remember going for a walk with my cousin who's very close to me and he's probably one who I've probably shared in great detail this whole process. I remember saying to him, like, if we get like three or four fertilized, I'd be absolutely over the moon. So to get four times, that was just absolutely incredible. Um, and not to say that there wasn't, the challenges obviously we went in for the transfer day and we discussed with them transferring two in and they had said that they put in one AA grade and one BA grade embryo 
um, just in case one of them doesn't stick and they give a better chance for the other one. And on the day of the transfer, um, when, when it was complete, I, I said to the fertility consultant, um, uh, which ones did you put in? And he said, oh, we put in two uh, 4AA embryos. I just stopped and thought, oh my goodness, if these both stick, um, it, like it just literally like the toss was just at that moment myself my wife just kind of looked at each other in complete shock um however saying that like we, we got our positive test and that was fantastic um but over the next weeks we had so many scares um on a couple of occasions like my wife she's a singer harpist and she plays at weddings apart from being a music teacher and on two occasions, um, I was sitting in the car park because I had to do all the lifting at that stage. And she texted me to say she went to the toilet and there was a lot of blood. And in that moment, your heart just completely sinks. You know, the reality of have we miscarried just literally dawns on you and you just think, is this it? Now, for us, we were like, we've got seven more embryos in there. It will cost us 2000 to do another transfer. We didn't want to go through all that again. We wanted this to be our time. And we had like three to four scares. And on the fourth time, we couldn't get through to our fertility clinic to get a scan. So we went private. And, you know, the lady at the reception could literally see the two of us were just completely like distraught down. Um, expecting the news that we miscarried and we went in for the scan and you know she put the gel on and she was doing the ultrasound and she was like there's a heartbeat and in that moment it was just like i can't explain it when you realize that something that's part of you and your partner is alive inside your partner's belly is just incredible however she then kind of went a bit to the right and I scanned a bit more and she says, there's another heartbeat. And I, I, I thought to myself, just stop there, no more scanning. I can't even conceive the idea if one of the embryos splits. Um, but it was just like a funny story just to go back. Um, myself and my wife, we've been together for, we got together in 2007. So it's nearly 15 years. Uh, we dated for four years. And I used to say to my wife when we were dating, um, we're going to have twins. And she used to say to me, Paul, do you have twins on your side? And I said, no. And she goes, you know, there's a very, 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 very low chance of us having twins. And all these years later, even though it wasn't naturally to be in a position where we're having twins, um, it's just incredible. Um, just in terms of, I've always wanted just a small family two kids you know um rachel comes from a slightly bigger family where she has four other siblings um but to find out we were having two was just absolutely incredible and you know they kind of put us at ease because there was no one there to tell us look it's very common to get heavy bleeds because it's just the, the lining of the womb shedding um but in that moment you you have to expect the worst because you've you know nothing else. Do you understand? Yeah, 
you always think the worst, especially when you see bleeding and you know you, you have that positive test. Mm. And it's it's really hard. But you're right in that you go for a scan and you hear that heartbeat and like that's just that's just a sigh of relief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we we were still very, very cautious because you know, you know, fifty percent of IVF um pregnancies and and miscarriage you know and so we were really just trying to get to the that kind of eight week mark 12 week mark um where at that stage we could kind of relax um and and thankfully the the bleeding did stop and and that kind of gave us a bit of a peace you know that rice look that was just that bleeding was just part of the IVF process and what happens. Um, so to be where we are now, where my wife is, should be 34 weeks uh, this Saturday. And we're trying to get the house all ready because once the kids come, it's going to be impossible to get anything done in the house. Like literally it's going to be, you know, forget about anything like that. You just need to basically put all your focus um, into these kids. Absolutely. I want to take a, a, a step back. Um, you mentioned that you're afraid of needles, so you weren't going to let your wife do the, do it herself. How did you get, how did you overcome that fear? And what did you do while giving her the shots? So basically because like obviously you have to do one shot in the morning. So I had to wake my wife up early in the morning, you know, put an ice patch on. But I suppose just going back, like I almost had to just say to myself, Paul, what, what you're asking, what, what Rachel is asking you to do, it just it pales in comparison. And in hindsight, when I think back to what she's gone through in terms of the retrieval and everything, which is very, very difficult on a woman. Um, and all, all she has to take the injections, you know, it was something so small. Um, but I have to be honest, after maybe the second time, it became so just like like clockwork. You know, she'd sit there, I'd put an ice pack on her, on her stomach, you know, I'd make her like a, a cup of chamomile tea to kind of help her calm down. Um, and then I just basically just prick it into the skin. And I noticed, I think I think my morphobia kind of more related to needles going into veins, not needles going into fat. Um, so I realized kind of early on that okay, it's not as bad as I expected. However, when we were doing the, so for like the first five days, you do one injection. And then you add the second injection thereafter. For some reason, oh, it was the most frustrating thing ever. The needle wouldn't prick her tummy. And like I was stabbing her and I just felt absolutely awful. And I then went online and I noticed that with this one, you have to put it in at a slight angle, very slight angle. And it just goes straight in. But like the first time you had to do that injection, 
I was stabbing my wife's stomach and I was getting knocked out of it and I could see the needle was slightly bending. I was getting so frustrated because I was like, I can't afford to be wasting uh, these needles. But um, in reality, I think it has definitely helped with my phobia because I then had to get like countless blood tests done. Like, so they were testing my hormones and everything to see if there was an issue there. You know, it kind of really helped with so now I mean I was getting my uh, COVID injection not a bother whatsoever like so I think it's something that's allowed me to actually overcome a phobia because I literally just had to say you know what Paul you need to cut yourself on what your wife is going through is so far um, more significant to your little phobia um, and and it just allowed me then to overcome it and get on with it and, and it made the process so much easier um now look that's not going to be like that for for everyone out there it's really about and what i would say for other guys who, who struggle with needles just try and put yourself in your partner's shoes and what she's about to go through you know because a lot about a lot with the guy it's a lot of that kind of emotional strain that you come under through infertility and going through IVF, whereas the your partner the woman has to contest with the emotional and the physical um, side of things, you know. So what I would say to everyone is just to really kind of it's watch videos before you do anything, and you realise it's actually not that bad, you know. But that, but that's just my experience. I suppose I can't speak uh, for everyone else. I'm glad you found a way, you know, to deal with it because a lot of guys have that fear. So your mm. your insights into it, it is very important. Yeah, because I watched I watched a lot of videos online of you know couples on YouTube going through the journey, and what I always noticed was that it was always the women injecting themselves. Now I suppose in some scenarios maybe the the man his job he just can't be there at the times of when the injections need to be administered, but I always noticed women injecting themselves. And I always knew Rachel wouldn't be comfortable doing that, you know. So I just literally just had to, I suppose, step up um, and get on with it. And, and I'm glad I did because it's like everything. I remember as a kid, I was petrified of roller coasters. And, and I remember being in um, New Jersey, visiting friends, and we went to the oceanfront. And I said, no, I'm just going to get on with this. I'm going to get on a roller coaster. I absolutely love this. Um, and to this day, like, if there's an opportunity to get on a roller coaster, I'm the first one in the queue, regardless of how big or fast or scary it is. But it's like everything, you have that irrational fear. But until you kind of, you know, get past this, you know, do it, do you realise that it's actually not as bad as you thought it was? Is there anything else you know, going through the process of IVF from the retrieval to the transfer that you would give advice about or wish you could do better on? Um, I, I, this is actually a bit of advice that I tend to give a loss, uh, give out a loss on the, the male infertility group on Facebook. Um, like I knew I was going to have to be extremely attentive to my wife because 
you know, I'd watched videos of retrieval and I'd seen the kind of recovery process. You know, my poor wife, she looked like a zombie when she came out of it. Um, and she was in a lot of pain, a lot of bloating. Um, so, and I've, I've seen stories on the Facebook group where the men are kind of complaining. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, you have to be completely selfless in that moment because you're, you're a full uh, bill of health. You don't have, you haven't had stuff pulled out of you and you don't have that after effect. You know, so for myself, it was just about being at home, you know, anything she needed. And one thing that we did between retrieval and transfers, we, we got into a TV series and we, we basically binged the US office, which is hilarious that I'd never watched it before. Um, I would have been a massive fan of the original um, The Office in the UK with David Brent. But we got into it and we absolutely loved it. And it became part of our, because my wife went back to work after maybe two, three days. And then we basically put our focus. When we go home from work, we'd come home, have dinner, have a quick chat about the day. And then we'd watch The Office and we'd just be laughing all evening. And stuff like that allows you to kind of forget about the external things such as, we've got a transfer coming up, you know what I mean? And it was all in the process of us getting the calls daily to see how the embryos were developing, you know? So we used that as a real kind of something to distract us. And that's something I always say to people, get into a TV series, make sure there's about like six, seven, eight series. So you've literally just got something that you can binge that you can take your focus away. Um, and as well as that, like I said, going for walks in the evening. Um, it's something that we, we always like doing. Um, we haven't been able to do much of this because obviously my wife's heavily pregnant. Her feet and her legs are swollen. Um, but what I would say just in terms of as a man, try, even though, you know, I have a very stressful job, you know what I mean? I come home, I'm really tired. It's about being able to just, as I said, fully understand what your partner's going through, what she's about to go through, um, and try to be very, very sacrificial to their needs, what they want. Because like I says, at the end of the day, it's gonna make it's gonna make the process for your partner so much better, so much more relaxing, no stress. Um and it's it's something that really, really works for ourselves. What you say is key having those outlets, having open communication with your spouse, it makes it so much easier through the process, especially in the time in, in the two week wait and the five days, like having that outlet is so, so key. And it sounds like you have a really great life because a lot of couples struggle through the process and don't have that, that open communication. So I, I give all the hats off to you for being able to do that. Well, like I guess I suppose we're, we're in kind of a, a fortunate search, situation, sorry. Like a lot of couples I see going through infertility, like they may only know each other a couple of years, you know, they may only be married a year or so, you know, so you're, you're trying to contend with that as well as being newly married and all that adaption that you need to go through. Whereas with ourselves, <clears throat> I've known Rachel since 
you know, I've known her since and I met her in 2002. So I've known her 20 years um, and, you know, we're absolutely best friends. So we, we kind of have that benefit of, you know, having a strong march. Um, no, I'm not saying it's a perfect march. <clears throat> and I would say my wife is probably a little bit more perfect than I am. But we, you know, we kind of were a very good match. And I definitely think that's needed. A good, strong foundation is needed before you even consider going through something like IVF. Because, like, I will say it is extremely testing, even on a march, you know, because there were so many times where I just felt completely useless because here was my beautiful wife who is completely healthy, has a really good AMH level and was able to produce 24 eggs at the age of 35. And here's me um, not keeping up my end of the bargain. And the only thing I would say, like, I wish there was someone who had have said to me, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, you know, Paul, like your health is extremely important. When it like, you know, because I, I just had this misconception that I'm a man, you know what I mean? There shouldn't be an issue getting pregnant. If there's going to be an issue, it's going to be on her side, not mine. Whereas in reality, more times than not, the issue is on the man's side. And I like, I often think like about my son, you know what I mean? In, you know, 20 years time, because the, the other thing to let you know is we did our gender reveal. And we're having a boy and a girl, which was absolutely our perfect scenario. I couldn't have asked for a better uh, scenario than that. But like my son, when when he gets to an age of like 16, 17, 18, like I'll be having those conversations with him, you know, that, you know, being healthy and eating well are extremely important, especially like, you know what I mean? when he finds someone that he wants to settle down with and get married, I don't want him to be at a stage that he waits till he's 36 to, to do a test on himself to see if all's okay down there. Whereas I would have loved someone to say to me when I was 25, oh, sorry, I was, I was nearly 27 when we got married, um, to say, look, Paul, go get yourself checked out make sure everything's okay because at least it'll give me give you the head start that if you do need to make adjustments and improvements that you can do that whereas I was just completely like there was no no educational piece from anyone to me to say look this is actually very critical having kids like whereas in reality when I see all my friends from my childhood from church they all got married they all had kids. I actually don't know a single other person who's gone through IVF out of my kind of circle of family and friends. So you don't ever think that this could be something that would happen to me. And I just, at, in that moment, when I was saying I felt so helpless and useless, I just kind of felt like, why is this happening to me? You know, I just want to be a father more than anything. And my wife, wants nothing more than to be a mother and to raise a family you know and we kind of took steps to make sure that we bought a house 
we were financially secure before we started this um trying to have a have a family but like it's just it's one of those things that you you almost have to find out when it hits you in the face you know as opposed to any kind of education or support piece and um, being out there absolutely and the truth is you're not alone in that right nobody ever really thinks that it, it could be the guy's problem everybody thinks it could be mostly the female's problem and that's really not that true so mm. the statistics don't lie one in eight couples struggle with infertility and Incredible. that means that the guy to your left, the guy to your right could have gone through it as well. It's not just a woman's issue. These are issues that need to be talked about and mm. we need to be there for one another. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So I really appreciate you coming on to the show and, and sharing your story and giving advice to those who are listening and, and part of this journey. And remember guys, you're not alone. We're here to help you get through it. Also, thank you so much. Not about it, not about it. I really appreciate the opportunity. Like I said, my 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 story is a story of success and I'm extremely grateful of that, but I'm also extremely mindful that in a lot of cases it doesn't work the first time. And in a lot of cases it doesn't work the second time or the third time. So like in terms of I always try to be, especially on mail and fertility groups on Facebook. I always try to be a source of positivity. You know, it, it is very easy for me to come from a point of positivity, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all about having that mindset um, that it will work. You know what I mean? Trying to stay positive um, and supporting your partner. And, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to come on, Daniel. And I said, be more than happy to come on again um, to kind of share any other elements um, in the near future. Absolutely. And we'll definitely have you on again and, and share your stories out there. And anybody in Ireland, you know, going through this, I'm sure Paul would be happy to uh, speak with you, connect with you, be there for you and, and create a community together. 100%. So thanks again. Not a matter. Have a nice evening, Daniel. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.